reading today comes from Psalm 4. O God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Good morning again. Come on. Good morning. I see people out there, but you're awfully quiet, so it's hard to tell. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, can we go to the Father in prayer? Lord, thank you for letting us come to you in prayer. Lord, thank you for the example that David uh, gives to us here, Lord, of running to you, uh, whether we are in distress or whether we are in joy and happiness and peace. Father, thank you for that. Father, I pray this morning that as we open up Psalm 4, uh, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and you would transform us. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to walk more closely, more intimately with you. Help us to walk, Father, in repentance and faith and belief, trust in our King of kings, our Lord, our Savior, our rock, and our Redeemer. And Father, for this one that would preach your word this morning, Lord, you know the condition of my heart. Uh, you know my own uh, distress this morning, and I pray, Father, that you would uh, even so uh, use this broken vessel to pour out your good, clean, life-giving water for the good of your people and for your glory in Jesus. Amen. So as we, uh, as we dive into uh, Psalm 4, there's a couple of things that I, I want to tell you up front, uh, a one and a two, okay? Uh, the first is that um, uh, we are moving, not the church, but, but Sandy and I and our kids are moving uh, in a couple of weeks to Hilton Head, South Carolina. Uh, so our time here is coming to a close. I'll preach today, and then I'll preach next Sunday, and then we will be, uh, we'll be on the road. Um, one of my, my favorite, uh, most comforting passages in Scripture is where we read that uh, many of the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. His purpose is always good. It's always good. Um, we moved here uh, a little over two years ago, almost two and a half years ago now, uh, to work with a friend and to uh, disciple and build a, a ministry of discipleship at EP. And um, the day I started, my friend resigned under discipline. God and I had to talk about that. Uh, and he is still my friend, by the way. God is. Bruce is too. Um, Still very much so. And then the pandemic hits two days later. 
And God and I had to talk about that. And so we, we, we jumped into uh, the fray uh, as God would have it because that's, that's what God does with his people. He, he calls us to places we might otherwise choose to go to do things that we might other, not otherwise have chosen to do. But our God is always good and he's always faithful. So um, gotten to walk with you uh, through those nearly two and a half years. Uh, of uh, some scandal and a pandemic uh, and don't forget politics and racial tensions and uh, it's been two and a half years of woe, right? Um, but God is, is calling us to a new season and a new place to Hilton Head Presbyterian Church and we're excited about that. We are excited about that, about his call and about where we are going. And yet we, we didn't see these things coming, for sure. Having said that, um, let me tell you a little bit about Psalm 4. I want you to know at the outset that we plan sermon series far in advance, uh, except for when Drew gets COVID. Uh, otherwise, we know who's preaching and when they're preaching. So, for example, in March... I knew that on this day, July 10th, I would be preaching Psalm 4. Didn't know what it said yet, but I knew that I would be preaching it. Uh, I do believe, uh, as the scriptures teach us, there is no coincidence. God is a sovereign God, and, uh, and he, is, he is sovereign over everything. So he is sovereign over this as well. So this psalm is not here because it's been chosen by man for anything else, but because it is God's sovereign plan that we dive into this today. David is writing this psalm that could just as easily have been a song written by Jesus. And you'll see a lot of similarities as we walk through it. We see David uh, early on in major distress so that he's crying out to the Lord. Then we see him address his enemies. And then we see him address God again. And at the end of it, after crying out in distress before the Lord, that's why we call it a, song of, a psalm of lament, he's crying out in distress and sorrow, after doing that and crying out to, to his enemies, we see David on his bed at the, end of the, at the end of the day. That's why it's called an evening psalm, because it ends in the evening. And, and we see him at peace, because he knows that the Father is trustworthy. He knows that his peace comes from the Lord. And in the Lord, in the Lord alone will he place his trust. And so as he lays his head upon the pillow, he rests in perfect peace before the Lord. David is in major distress, though, and so he even sings about it. I love David's transparency. It's a good direction for us to learn to go as humans. He cries out, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayers. He's crying out to the Lord in distress. Why, why is he in distress? A couple of reasons that are, that are possible for us, according to, to other theologians. One is that his son uh, Absalom uh, is, is, is coming against him and is raising up an army against him and is trying to, to recruit some of the leaders from Israel to come to his side and take up arms against his father, King David. And Absalom is doing this 
through lies and vain words, through manipulations and twisting truth and trying to tear down, as we read in, in the second verse, to tear down David's honor and turn it to shame. So this is someone very near and very close to David, right? It's his own son. His son Absalom is coming to tear him down. That would cause any father distress, right? Right? So that's what he has, someone near and dear to him that is trying to tear him down through deception, lies, vain words, and tears honor into shame. A second, a second option for David's distress, one that isn't quite as supported, um, is, is that there's a famine in the land. And because there's a famine in the land, the leaders of the nation are, are fussing at the king as if the king had something to do with the rain not coming or the king had something to do with the crops not growing. But they're fussing at the king for something that, that was brought about through no fault of his own. So we, we've seen that over the last couple of years in our nation as leaders have been blamed for the pandemic, which the leaders did not bring the pandemic, whether they were uh, government leaders or medical leaders or, or spiritual leaders. There's a reason that, that some 70% of pastors over the last couple of years have thought about leaving ministry. Those numbers are far, far, far out of line. So, and that, that's possible here, but, but I don't think it's what's really going on. I think that leaders are, have come to Absalom's side and they are raising up arms against King David. And so he is in, he's in major distress at the one that is so near and dear and close to him is seeking to tear his honor and make it into, into shame. So David's crying out to the Lord. Where, where do you cry? Where do you cry when you're in distress? I guess a better question to start with might, might be, do you ever find yourself in distress? Do you ever find yourself in such great, great sadness that you even want to look up the word lament and find out what it really means? That you cry out to the Father and you want to cry out, Lord, do you hear? Lord, do you, do you hear? Do you see what's going on? Do you know? Do you care? Father, do you even care? Lord, are you here? As David cries out in distress over this one that is so close, trying to tear him down, I'm reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cried out to the Lord in, in distress and anguish, Lord, if there's any other way this cup could pass from me, let it be, but but not my will, but your will be done. Or when he's on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, are you here? Lord, do you know? Do you see? Lord, do you, do you care? And yet David, David knows, even as he's crying out in distress, he's reminded that God has always given him relief when he's in distress. He reminds himself that God always shows up. At the end of verse one, he even, he says, be gracious to me and hear my prayers, knowing that it's an act of God's grace that God would even hear him and listen to him. He's not saying, hey, Lord, I made a deal with you. I will be king if you will do this. If you will hear my prayers, I'll be the king. Or I will do everything right, and therefore you must do everything that I consider right. David knows that you can't make a deal with God. I'm the greatest king ever, or I'm the greatest church ever, or I'm the greatest mom ever, I'm the greatest dad ever. 
I'm the greatest pastor ever. I'm the greatest whatever ever. Therefore, you owe me. I have obeyed you. Therefore, you're duty-bound to do what I want you to do. God doesn't work like that. David has made no deal with God, and he considers it an act of God's grace that God would even listen to him. He also cries out and considers that God is the God of his righteousness. It's the only place that this phrase occurs in Scripture, O God of my righteousness. David knows that he has no righteousness in and of, his, of himself. He can't look, look to God and say, I've done it all rightly. He doesn't do that. He knows that all of his righteousness really comes from God. That's what gives him standing before the Lord. Because the Lord considers him right because in David's mind, there's a Messiah coming that will pay the penalty for his sin. Do you care? Do you hear, oh Lord? Where do you go when you're in distress? Where do you go? Well, it's the, the distress of, um, of sin, your own brokenness rather, where you, you've, you've sinned before the Lord and you're in anguish over that and so you cry out to the Lord for forgiveness or it's, maybe it's distress because um, of the economy and you've run out of money before you've run out of month. Or maybe it's Thanksgiving dinner. Anybody ever know distress at Thanksgiving dinner? And I'm not talking about the distress of the turkey is not done on time, but the distress of people. Where do you go in distress? Where we typically go is uh, we go to, to, to self-help type situations. Um, we used to go to the bookstore a lot. We still go, but not quite as often as we used to because now it's just easy to pick up your phone and go to the Amazon app. But there was a time when the, the, the spiritual section or the, the Christian section at, at Barnes & Noble was, was this large, relatively speaking, and now it's like this large. And the self-help section used to be this large, and now it's this large. And they're both under the category of spirituality. I'm like, really? What's up with that? So we, we, but you can go to a million different self-help books. Uh, we, we turn to medication, alcohol. Uh, drugs, um, addictions, porn. We turn to things like that to help us in distress. Or we turn to gossip. Scott Sauls says that gossip is pornography of the mouth because it, it uses people that aren't even here to bring about power in our own lives to meet our own needs. Pornography of the mouth. We turn to gossip, we turn to addictions, we turn to, to self-help, we turn to other religions, we turn to a lot of different places. But do we turn to Christ? David takes us first to the Lord. David's facing He's facing the, the growing um, onslaught of the opinions of leaders whose opinions have been swayed through, as we read here, vain words and lies. Will those vain words and, and lies, will the, the lobbying group that is being raised up against him, will that turn his head? You say, wow, that sounds like Congress today, doesn't it? It does. It's nothing new. Nothing new. 
Where do you turn? David's under distress. What's he going to do with it? He runs to the Father again and again and again and again and again. But those following uh, Absalom, those bringing the distress to David, were not following the Lord and their actions. When you look in verse 2 and you see uh, men, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? There, there's a few ways that, that that could be understood. When you see men or man in Scripture, it could be in humankind, right? It could be all people, men and women. It could be that. It could be all males. It could be that. And you know by the different words and the context that, that's said it. In this context, in fact, your Bible might have it translated this, this way, it means men of rank or it means leaders, men that are leaders in the community. They might be political leaders. They might be military leaders. They might be religious leaders. They might be business leaders, but they're leaders. They're, they're men that, are, that David recognizes as leaders, so he calls them, oh, men of, of rank. How long shall my honor be turned into shame? And he begins to question his enemies. He's gone from speaking to God to questioning his enemies. And he, he asked him a couple of questions. One, how long? How long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how long, how long shall you, you love vain words and love seeking after lies? How long, Lord? How long, men? Uh, uh, leaders, men of rank, how long will you do that? He's crying out in the pain that is in his heart with transparency before the Lord. How long? Why do they love the vain words? I mean, he uses the word intentionally. He just doesn't say, why do you use the vain words and lies? How, how, how long are you going to love it? Why do they love it? Why do they love it? They love it because it's effective. The means justify the ends. They love it because it's effective. They can use vain words. They can use lies. They can use half-truths. They can spin things. They can twist things. They can use deception. They cannot tell the whole truth. They can do all those sort of things, and it's effective. They get what they want. You might look at, at the news today. Many of us have stopped watching the news because we don't trust it anymore. But you might look at the news today and you think, oh, this is a new thing. The news has really gotten rough in the last few years where you can't trust what the newscasters are saying. My friends, it's nothing new. It was going on way back here 3,000 years ago in the political realm of King David. How long? They loved it because it was effective. And you do see it so often, so very much in our, our political world today and in social media as well. We have, listen, we have whole groups of, of, of people in our intelligence communities, NSA and the like, whose, whose job it is to to, to ferret out and stop the misinformation, disinformation that's coming from other countries into our countries to, um, to upset or destabilize our own government, to change a political election here or there. And, and so, I, you know, I talk to these, these guys and they tell me some of the things that they have to, have to do and some of the things that come against us and I, my mind is blown. And yet it's nothing new. David, David faced it there as well. And people are very adept at tearing down systems and regimes, and it becomes the way of life. We see it also not just in political realm, as David was seeing it. We see it uh, in, in colleges, right, with college students. We see it with high school students. We see it with middle school students. And it can be ugly. It's where the show Mean Girls comes from, right? It's nasty. It's painful. We see it in churches. We see it in churches. 
Did you know that um, it only takes eight people making a concerted effort to bring down a pastor and cause him to move? Only eight. Only eight. I remember um, uh, speaking on revitalization at a church several years ago, and, and I mentioned that um, as, as a part of the revitalization process that they were going through. And I saw a couple of people in the front row look at each other and kind of elbow each other like, yeah, there it is. We only need eight. I thought, oh, no, forget I said that. Forget I said that. Don't do that. Um, but it does happen because we're very good at it. And it's effective, but God's not in it. Lying and the vain words have become such an accepted practice in our culture. We call it lobbying. Uh, we call it um, selling. We call it working the deal. We say you have to do what you have to do, or we say it's just my job. But then we also bring it into our family life. <clears throat> we bring it into the church, and we let the stuff of the world impact the way we do life as Christians instead of letting who Christ is impact how we do life in the secular world around us. Which way do you think God wants us to live? By letting the secular world impact who we are as Christians or letting who we are as Christians impact how we live in the secular world? Within the church, sometimes we call it shepherding. We just got to hear the story or we call it prayer request. We need to pray for this individual because of what's going on in their world. My friends, God is not okay with that. It might be something that you wink at because it's something that you're so used to in your own secular world or because you've become so used to it as a church. God is not okay with that and he does not wink at it. He spilled the blood of his only son because of it. He's not good with it. Here's where he goes in verse 4 of Psalm 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Now, the ESV translates that as angry. Another translation says agitated. Spurgeon and Boyce thought it should be translated as tremble before the Lord and do not sin. I think there's some of all of that perhaps, but the word is unclear. But any of that is important to us because David does intend for us to tremble before the Lord. And then he says, ponder it in your own hearts and on your own beds and be silent. In other words, instead of spreading it to the world, ponder it in your own hearts and against Scripture and see, see where the truth is and then take it to the Lord. And the last phrase of that verse is important. He says, and be silent. You know, Elizabeth Elliot was once asked, I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't remember exactly the way it was put. was once asked, well, I've, I've thought it in my heart. Shouldn't I just be transparent and go ahead and say it? And her answer was, you've already sinned once by thinking it. Why well, sin twice by saying it? Erasmus said that, um, said that this kind of anger, speaking of this verse, he said this kind of anger is the first step towards murder. And the wounding words are the second step. Why go there and be silent? One of the, the words that we learned first in France when we lived there, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, I'm sorry, uh, was fermer la bouche, which I think means shut up. 
It just means shut your mouth. And I think if we were to see this written in common English today, that's the way we would see it written. It would be just shut up. Close your mouth. Don't let it out. Just because you think it in your heart or because of the way you've lived in the secular world doesn't mean that it's of God. Be quiet with it. And then he goes on, he tells you what to do with it. He's told you what to do with it from a negative sense. Don't do this. Now he's telling you what to do with it with, with a positive sense. In verse 5, he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Offer right sacrifices. Sacrifices we're to offer are sacrifices seeking forgiveness. And to put your trust in the Lord means to believe in the Lord. So what he's saying is the same thing that Jesus says to us in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, repent and believe. That's the way Jesus starts his ministry. Repent and believe. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. Repent and believe. David is telling these enemies of his, repent and believe. He's not yelling at them. He's not admonishing them. He's not, he's not speaking to them with venom. He's speaking to them with pain. But he's also inviting them to come before the Lord and offer the right sacrifices and trust the Lord. He's giving them an invitation to run back to the Father. How beautiful is that from a man who has been wounded by his own son? Repent and believe. I've told you before that repentance is a beautiful thing. And, and God's instruction to us to repent is not something that we need to be afraid of. It's not something that is, that is venomous or something that we could, should shrink back from. It's something that we run to. Because anytime we see God telling us to repent, it means that God has his arms open wide and ready to receive our repentance and shower us with his grace and forgiveness. Repentance is a beautiful thing. And then he follows it up with believe. Trust me, my children. Trust me. Because he's trustworthy. Live life the way I've called you to live life. Trust me. It's the gospel waltz. Repent, believe, and follow Christ. Even if you don't like where he's leading you, follow Christ. Repent, believe, follow. Repent, believe, follow. Repent, believe, follow. Every single person in this room needs to be a part of that gospel waltz. We all have reason to repent. We all have reason to trust more and a command to trust more. We all need help with all of that. The great news is that the rightest of the right sacrifices that are commanded here has already been made, a sacrifice of the Lord himself, a sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the only son of the living God, a sacrifice made for your sin and my sin on the altar of his holiness, that you and I might have life forever because of his great love for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrated his own love for us, for me and for you in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died, he was buried, he was raised again on the third day, and today he sits at the right hand of the throne of God Almighty, interceding for you and for me. That's good news, isn't it? God has given us that very great and precious gift. That's, why, that's where King David takes us as he's closing out this evening psalm. In verse 7 and verse 8, he says, Lord, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. No matter what kudos you get from the world or from your enemies that are seeking to do things in a way that is not of God, no matter how many kudos or what success strokes you might receive from them, David is reminding you and me that the greatest joy we will ever receive is the joy that comes from the Lord. He tells us again to seek that which is from God. We seek peace, 
by giving it to the, to the stuff of earth, we run from conflict or we run to wealth, fame, power, pleasure, to, to grain and wine that abounds. David says, no, the joy that lasts, the peace that lasts is the peace that comes from the Lord alone. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You alone, O Lord, Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone. The world will offer you everything, promise you the moon, and deliver nothing but trouble. Christ promises you himself, and he delivers that for eternity. David lays his head on his pillow at the end of this evening psalm in peace, despite the fact that his son is still coming against him. He is at peace. Let me give you a couple of implications in two different categories. First category, if you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, there will be some that will cause you to stress with vain words and lies. It's going to happen. It happened to David. It happened to our Lord Jesus, even from those that were his inner circle. It's going to happen. If you follow Jesus, expect it. It will often come from non-Christians, those that are not yet believers, but it will also come from those that are Christians. It will come from those that are not leaders, and it will come from those that are leaders. It will happen if you follow Jesus. There will be some that would seek to turn your honor to shame. But my friends, your righteousness does not come from people. Your righteousness does not come from the opinions of people. <clears throat> your righteousness comes from the Lord, from Christ alone. And if that righteousness isn't enough, then nothing else ever will be. So you can have peace, peace to sleep the night through, not because of your success, but because of Christ and his love for you. He has suffered far more than you or I ever have or ever will. Does he know your pain? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Does he care? Absolutely, he cares. He sees, he knows, and he cares. You are not alone. One of the most beautiful promises we have from Scripture is that Jesus will be with us all the way to the very end of the age. You are not alone. He tells us that before he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples and, and to us as well that if he goes, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to be with us. That Holy Spirit lives in you. My friends, you are not alone. God knows, he sees, and he cares for you. Even in the midst of the greatest distresses. And though in the moment of pain, it is hard to know or remember your Lord, your Abba Father, will take the stuff, the stress, the distress, the angry words, the lies, the pain, and he will make you ever more beautiful because of it. He will take your suffering and make you quite lovely, and he will be glorified in the doing of it. That's one category, those that are following Jesus. Those that are not following Jesus will be the second category. And this could be believers. But they're, they're doing things as, as Absalom is, is leading the leaders of the community to go to. 
for those that bring the vain words and love the lies, you're not alone either. In fact, some would suggest that you're in the majority. I would suggest that it's all of us. There's not a man, woman, or child that at some point will not have the distress of people coming against you. And there's not a man, woman, or child that will not be those that are coming against other people. We are all guilty, all of us. You're not alone. We live in a, a community, um, especially in the DMV area, where um, deception, twisting truth, um, half-truths, spin, uh, it's so common. I know it's common in our world, it's common in our media. I've gotta tell you, I've never seen it the way I've seen it in Annapolis. Never seen it like this. My friends, it's not of God. You might be comfortable with it, it might be the norm for you, but it is not from your Savior. He would give you something better and he would leave you and lead you in a better way. He would lead you in his way. We're all in need of repenting and believing and following Christ anew. One of the greatest beauties of this psalm is that David's admonition to offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord, to repent and believe, is not just an admonition, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation to those created in his image to come to him and repent. How beautiful is that? It's an invitation from not just King David, but King Jesus to repent and to believe, to trust him. It's an invitation from your king, King Jesus, to lay your head upon your pillow tonight at the end of the day and to rest in peace with a full knowledge that Jesus never sleeps nor slumbers that he is with you and he knows, he sees, and he cares. Will you accept his invitation? Will you accept his invitation to repent? Accept his invitation to believe? Accept his invitation to follow and to be at peace? Will you? And will you pray with me? Father, thank you for letting us come to you in prayer. You're so very kind to us. You're so kind to us. Lord, thank you for the invitation to repent and believe. Your kindness to us knows no bounds. Thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that you will, uh, in us as individuals, as a church, Father, repent and to trust you all the more. Help us in that, Father. Help us, Lord, to follow you. Lord, help us to, to drink deeply of the joy that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, if there's anyone here in this room or online that has never met you, Father, I pray that changes now. <laughs> that they would look to you and they would say, Lord, I do repent and I trust you, I believe. Be my Lord 
and help me to follow you. For your glory, in Christ, amen. Stand with us.